The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Stroud. I'm the CMO of W2O Group, and we are doing the What to Know podcast. We're doing it live from the NUCO Shift Forum. And uh, we've had some very exciting guests already today, but uh, this is one of my personal favorites. He's got many titles. His name is Tyler Florence, and I think we had it listed up on the screen earlier during his talk that he was a executive chef, TV personality, entrepreneur. He owns his own wine label. He uh, has written multiple books. We'll talk a little bit about that in the book writing process. Pleasure to have you here, Tyler. Aaron, thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Um, and uh, thank you to all the sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for having us. And it, it's a real pleasure you know, to see San Francisco kind of come together. I feel like you know, summits and conferences in San Francisco are always really special. It was very exciting to be on the stage today. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. At lunch, we were sitting down and talking with um, Brady Forrest and Ross Mayfield, who are kind of like old veterans of the tech industry. They ran Web 2.0 and uh, Ross was at SlideShare. And so anyway, I couldn't agree more. I want to start off with your roots, right? So, <clears throat> and what reminded me of this was you did a post on your Facebook page. Um, I think it was you when you must have been, I don't know, 10 years old, maybe 12 years old. You hail from Greenville, North Carolina. So, Green, Greenville, South Carolina. South Carolina. But funny enough, there's a Greenville in every single state in the country. Wow. See, if I hadn't, if I hadn't had that slip up, we wouldn't know that little fact. Um, <clears throat> how much of those Southern roots still permeate? I mean, I've seen you cook and obviously you do pulled pork and a lot of things that are Southern, but like how much do you sort of hold that with you today and how much still comes back into everything you do from a, a cooking and book writing perspective? Well, when, when you um, take a little bit of stock in your own life and kind of who you are and kind of what you do, um, everything um, that you've done in life and everything, um, everywhere you've been, um, adds up to your own singular experience, um, and, and life. Um, so I, I grew up in South Carolina. I was born in Columbia, um, in the middle of the state, the capital of the state. And then I, I, I lived in Greenville, South Carolina until I was about 19 years old, uh, which is now the tech, uh, capital of South Carolina, an amazing growing city. There's about a million, I think 1.7 million people live between Greenville and Spartanburg, um, according to the last census. And then I, I went to culinary school in Charleston, um, went to uh, Johnson and Wales University. And I, I got a culinary degree, which is a, a two-year AOS. And then I stuck around and got a bachelor's in, in um, hospitality, hospitality restaurant management. And then uh, I was lucky enough uh, that uh, Johnson and Wales gave me uh, an honorary doctorate in 2005. And uh, then after that, I moved to uh, I moved to New York City uh, when I was uh, 20 years old. I moved to New York City with $2,000 in my pocket. I actually signed one additional loan check because uh, I, I grew up in sort of like lower middle class, and 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 my 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 parents were you know wonderful people, and they, they definitely did everything they could do to raise us, and they did a great job. Um, but when when uh, I, I signed an extra loan check for two thousand, I think it was two thousand four hundred dollars. So I moved to New York City with two thousand four hundred dollars in my pocket, and it was first month's rent, last month's rent, and about four hundred dollars until I, I had a job. So I started I I, started, I staged in in the in the restaurant world. It's where you kind of go work for free. Uh, and so the, the restaurant and the chef can, can get an idea who you are as a person before they hire you. So it's like this uh, trial period. So I saw it for five days until Charlie Palmer walked down and, and, uh, and, and took a look at me and, and hired me. But that was it. And, and, and I didn't even question that gamble. I didn't even question it. I just knew that I could, at that point, Charleston wasn't the big culinary capital where it is now, but I just felt like I could, I could cook here for a long time and 
probably no one will ever know who I am. And then I, and then when I, when I moved to New York City, I'm like, I have to be in the middle of the conversation. I have to be where the big stories are and the big restaurants are and the big names um, because I, I just take myself that seriously as a young as a young chef. And I worked for Charlie Palmer for about a year and a half, and then you know, and then a bunch of restaurants. To um, uh, I started the opportunity to work with Food Network in 1996, and it was just an amazing opportunity. So to answer your question in a long sort of loopy way, like I, you can never escape where you come from, especially kind of doing what I do for a living because Southern food, I think is American food. So everything that, that I do now, um, it's in the South, they call it brown and good, right? So I, I think that the, like my, my, my food is deeply delicious. And uh, and so the the idea of kind of what I grew up on of, you know, like, you know, black pepper fried chicken and light as a cloud buttermilk biscuits and, you know, coconut cake and, you know, Coca-Cola out of a bottle and ambrosia and collard greens cooking down for, uh, you know, half a day with a big smoky ham hock and 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 those kind of things like that that's just that was my that was my every saturday you know uh, i had barbecue sauce in my baby bottle and these are just things that we just grew up on as a thing so um you know um doing what i do now um i could never uh um not have that southern roots um be um front and center in my cooking specifically um and uh, and i still say yes ma'am and no ma'am to i don't know to a lot of people so. well that's a good way to do it the good news is you also just answered a couple other questions so i appreciate that uh, lead in and that does actually lead me to a question about the food network so you did start over 20 years ago when you were there quite nascent did you ever have any idea that the food network was going to become the you know monster sort of power brand that it's become today you know, I'm thrilled to be a part of Food Network as long as I have. And it's such an amazing company that has done so much for so many people, um, both in front and uh, behind the camera. So the, the, the people that watch, um, you know, they have a relationship with me that goes back two decades already. And I'll bump into people, you know, at the airport or sort of walking around in any city and, and sometimes in, in a lot of countries. I'm on television in 80 countries around the world. And um, um, and they'll say that thing that you made on television last week, I made it for my family and it was delicious and thank you. And to me, I, I feel like, you know, being part of that that conversation and, and r- raising the national consciousness on what great simple cooking can do, um, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it, to be really honest with you. And, and and it, it, it's been an amazing opportunity just to just I, I wouldn't be who I am without Food Network. There's no doubt about it. And uh, and, and, and it's wild to, to see how it's starting to morph and, and change, too, which is which is really exciting, too. There's a lot of really good stuff coming on the pipeline. Those guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I spend way too much time watching that. My family does. Um, I have to say my daughter, Olivia, is a, a huge fan of yours. She was a little jealous when I told her. We were going to speak today. I do have to ask this question, and I'd like to get to your talk that you did earlier at the conference. Um, any favorites that you have, like any people that are really like, these are my people that are some of the other celebrity chefs on Food Network? Food Network. You know, um, uh, Bobby Flay is is a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for a really, really long time. And um, we'll go through waves where, you know, we're just kind of busy, but then we'll go through, we'll see each other, and then we'll just sort of hover in the corner and talk for 45 minutes and kind of catch up. Um, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very sincere guy. Um, and uh, Duff Goldman is a really good friend of mine. You know, Duff and I, um, I, I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. I collect motorcycles. So, and Duff's kind of the same way. So Duff and I will start talking about food for two minutes and then start talking about motorcycles for a half an hour. And he and I are kind of playing this kind of cool trip coming up too, which would be fun. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, um, I, 
it's um, there's a lot of new people. The the table, the Food Network table has gotten you know really big really fast. So I I feel like like the big festivals are our time to kind of catch up. So you know Sobe South Beach Food and Wine Festival, New York City Food and Wine Festival, Aspen. Um, you know there's a bunch of new things coming up. LA Food and Wine Festival is really starting to tip. Nashville Food and Wine Festival is really starting to tip. So um, yeah, th- th- those are places where we really kind of get a good chance to catch up. And if you and if you're a super fan of, of like Food Network talent and want to go just be in one place where everybody's going to be there. New York, Miami, uh, Aspen, uh, and LA. Those are the big ones where everybody shows up. Yeah, that's cool. I've actually had the fortune of going to the Austin uh, Food and Wine Festival, much smaller, but like Marcus Samuelson and great, some of the great other folks festival. Are there. Yeah. 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 So, pivoting to your talk earlier, and I was fascinated, and this is part of the reason why I was excited to have this conversation because this is really a business oriented podcast. It's like where where do people get innovation, and then how can you apply it to your business? And you had a, a fascinating panel that was talked, or a, a talk called Direct to Fan Experiences. And in particular, I was really not surprised, but I was pleased to hear about the, when you went from, you know, just posting on Instagram and getting two or 300 likes to, you know, as you were starting to create your own media, we'll talk a little bit about your book in a second, but now 60 to 70,000 impressions. Instagram now has its own business profile, which you can go in and see all that. So talk a little bit about, you know, maybe give a two minute um, reduction, you know, version of what it is that you talked about during uh, earlier today. Well, it's a really great time to um, to be in the media business if you're a content creator or if you feel like you want to start creating content because um, the the um, the tools to do so and the analytics to be able to analyze your content and get better quicker um, is totally available to anybody that wants to go buy a cell phone, right? So um, the the I, I got the new iPhone Seven uh, Plus, and the camera on this uh, phone is better than some of the satellites in space. Um, so if you have if you have the ability to tell a story, um, the fact that you don't really have super expensive equipment doesn't really mean anything anymore. Um, it's all about the story, right? And so story is king, and everything else sort of supports the the king. So if you can tell a great story and you can use um, great uh, tools to be able to do that, then anybody can get into the game, which is amazing. So to so when you create great content, um, um, w- creating content for you versus creating content for other people, I think is the transition that a lot of people should make if they really want to use this tool effectively. So a lot of people sort of like will post something that they find interesting, but if you dive into analytics and go, okay, wow, that video that I made, uh, you know, um, um, this pork chop dish, that I just posted last week, I got an amazing email from my from Chatbooks, my cookbook publisher, and said, "God, what did you do on Friday? Because we sold a shit ton of cookbooks, right?" And so, so if you really dive into your audience of who appreciates you the most, and then start dialing in your content for that particular audience, you'll see the the user engagement hockey stick and on your terms, which I think is really amazing. So uh, traditionally, if you're, I mean, like the magazine world, for example, right? So that was, it, it, you know, we used to just like hustle and hustle and hustle to get four or five pages in Food and Wine magazine a year, right? Or to make sure that, or hire a publicist to make sure our name was in Food and Wine magazine a year because that was the monthly sort of wrap up of like who was doing what and who was cool. And if you weren't in the magazine or weren't in the magazine for a while, then it felt like, well, I'm not as relevant as I used to be. But now like, like we could actually produce side by side, very uh, um, um, consistent 
impressions for what I do in social media versus large mainstream magazines, right? And so now all of a sudden these big, huge brands are potentially competitors for for uh, for um, producers that are making like really fantastic content that's sticky that people really kind of want to want to watch. So um, uh, it's, to me, like to the, the idea of creating fantastic content, it, it's it's a maker's universe now. Um, advertisers are starting to go direct to uh, content creators that are making fantastic content because it cuts cuts the time out. It cuts the 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 arduous process of having to determine of like who, why am I cool? Why am I here? What is this product all about? You hire so many consultants to tell you so much great information, but you're not really affecting one customer yet, right? So I I, I think this new world of creating fabulous content and and the turnaround time to getting up and posted, it's 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 uh, it's minutes and hours versus months and years. Um, it, it's a fabulous time to start creating great content. So concept. that's a good segue because you talked about this book writing process and I think you said there's a 13th book that's coming out, cookbook that's coming out next week. Well, I, I, we, we, we published my 13th cookbook um, in... Um, in first of December, I'm I'm shooting my 14th cookbook next, next week, week oh, cool. and that's going to be out in March, <laughs> right? So literally, the turnaround time is 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 less than 30 days. Talk about that process because I was fascinated. Uh, I think if I remember the the facts correctly, you said you're going from a year to sort of go soup to nuts, mm -hmm. and you sat down and I think this is around book 12 and or maybe it was 13, and you said, you know what? No, I want to find a different way. I think you said you sat down in four weeks, you hashed out all the details, you found this company called Chatbooks, who by the way, kind of cool, you can put 60 of your Instagram photos up and print a hard copy book, one copy or 700,000, which I love. But you said you did the shoot in four days and then a week later you had a draft of the book. Am I getting those numbers right? Absolutely, and and it it's amazing. So um, um, last year for Father's Day, uh, my wife says I'm kind of hard to shop for. So um, she took every um, Instagram posts I've, I've ever, um, um, posted. And then she had them consolidated into chat books and it's like 2000 images. So, uh, for father's day, she gave me this like really special, um, kind of acoustic version of your digital world. Right. And so all these, and, and cause we have, uh, you know, two small children together that have certainly changed tremendously in the last couple of years. So kind of flipping through these old pictures, I asked yourself a question. When's the last time you went down to your first post you ever posted on Instagram? Right, you don't really sort of relive this stuff. I mean, it's there if you want to take a look at it. But the idea of you can have these books that are easy to produce, easy to make, easy to print, print on demand, and and kind of like reimagine the model of the cookbook world to get you content. Right, if you want to think, of, I want to make a lasagna tonight. What's your first move? Is it to pull a cookbook out of the, it's not, right? So everyone's going to open up their phone. They're going to Google search lasagna, and then they're going to go through perhaps page one, maybe page two, but that's as far as it gets. But people still love and, and covet the idea of a book, but it needs to be faster. It needs to be something that they can pay attention to and that you have to constantly produce more content of what it's going to be. So, so, the, so traditionally when, when you um, um, write a book, you have to, uh, drop everything, 125 recipes, 325 pages, 
the manuscript has to be written. All the recipe headers have to be, you know, constructed. The f- photography of the book has to be put up, and then you drop it off, and then it goes into a dark hole for six or eight months while it's being sort of designed by in-house design team that you have no control over at the end of the day, or very little control over. And then, and then so, and then you get this book a year and some change later, and then the way that process works from a marketing standpoint, they'll give you two weeks of their internal time, and then you're off on your own. And if that book doesn't do, doesn't skyrocket on Amazon in two weeks, whatever, right? Because they literally have more clients in the pipeline. So to me, um, because we've really invested in our, in our social media uh, um, um, group and all of our fans that, that we pay attention to and talk to them on a daily basis, we know exactly what they want. Um, we actually ask them what they want before we write a cookbook. So they're giving us really good suggestions of what they want to take a look at. So, so instead of going me from the hip, here's what I think you'll like. We go, hey, what would you like? And then we actually make really kind of cool versions of those ideas. And then we, we publish it. So the idea with chat books, we, um, we engaged with them um, with the idea and called them up and said, hey, do you want to be our publisher? They flipped out and said yes. And then um, two weeks later, we had a, uh, a, a contract drafted and executed. And then two weeks after that, because I shot the book in four days, and then I used um, Adobe InDesign to lay the book out in my own studio, in my own house, versus having to outsource that. I actually taught myself how to lay a cookbook out. And we did that internally. So we turned this product around and we sold <laughs> like a tremendous amount. And, and, and now what we have is this ongoing storyline. But So it's not a book, it's a subscription. So that's the new thing. We're not selling a cookbook. We're selling four cookbooks a year for $60, right? So And the, the books are sort of broken down to 25 recipe clusters. So you kind of get the seasonal thing of what you want to cook when you want to cook it versus this big thing. Because when, when you buy a cookbook, normally you probably find five recipes out of it, put it up on the shelf, and you never pull it down again. But this, you, you can watch us on social media, create the content, and then, and then get Get the book at home. Um, they're all tested down to the grain of salt, so you know they're going to work. A lot of people have already cooked the entire book, and it's 25 recipes, 25 new recipes every single quarter. So, so when the season changes, you're going to get a new book in the mail, and and it's been a, an amazing experience to sort of take what has been a um, a, a very traditional model that kind of goes back probably half a half a century uh, of how cookbooks are produced, and then we're just consolidating, we're shrinking the time down. To, to make it where it's just actually usable and it feels modern. And, and so, yeah, so we're, we're very excited about the relationship with Chatbooks and, and, uh, and so far it's, it's been a big success for us. That's awesome. I have one more business question and two quick fun questions and then we can wrap yep. up. Um, you sort of led into this with what you were just talking about. So you've written these books, you run a restaurant, you have a family, you have a wine label, uh, you're on the Food Network, you continually do shows. Like I know you've done past shows with Oprah and the Today Show. People complain, like, I don't have time to do thought leadership. I don't have time to do this. You do, like, 15 things. How do you organize your time? And then you're laying out cookbooks on top of it. How do you organize your time so you can get all this stuff done and still, you know, have time to breathe? Well, I, I think it's really important to um, in, invest in your own organization, right? Um, so I have um, I have a full-time assistant that does nothing but make sure I'm scheduled. And and so every day we'll have like a quick briefing. She works out of her house. Um, a quick briefing on what you have to do today. And then and I'm surprised my phone is not buzzing because it's probably time for me to get out of here, right? So she keeps up with me every single minute. She tracks me like Santa Claus on the Doppler radar going, he, he's, he's here, he needs to be here. Sound like a true dad. Get, right, 
Right. You, should, you have to get out of here. So um, I, I think it's really important that if, if you feel like you want to do more or you have the ability to do more, the difference between having this thought process of wouldn't it be cool if we could start this new thing or we can get this new thing. Our discipline of creating a new concept is starts with a thought process, right? So wherever the inspiration hits, on a drive, in the shower, having a cup of coffee, on a plane, whatever it is, the meditation of having this like, okay, here's the thing right? Wow. Beautiful idea. The next phase of that is, um, is documenting the entire process. So we'll, we'll search the domain name, we'll buy up all the domains, and then we'll actually file a trademark application before we even know what the hell the product's going to be. And then, and then we'll put it onto what we call a project tracker. And it's a live document that we work with. And there's probably 27 ideas on there right now. Some are active things, some are active that we're kind of into. And, and then some are actual, you know, uh, moonshots that we think could be kind of cool. And then after that, we, we kind of find, we'll try to find a partnership and then we kind of get into it. And then, um, managing that process is, is just a matter of, of, you know, taking a look on a daily basis, a monthly basis, quarterly, yearly on like what's getting traction. And then can you actually do it? Um, it's surprising how much you can get done every day. It's surprising how, um, how, omnipresent you can be without your very uh, and, and varied businesses it's it's amazing how much you can manage if you actually just sort of invest in your own organization and if you don't have an assistant you have to get one that's uh, amen to what you just said and uh, <laughs> yes um so the last two fun questions one is i know you're in austin i lived in austin for six years last fall i believe november i think supporting your wine label yeah. Yeah, you said uh, you had to kiss the ring, which meant you went to Franklin's Barbecue, noted as yeah. one of the best barbecue places in the country. Mm -hmm. um, one, what did you think? And two, if you were to sit down and do a cook-off with Aaron Franklin, neutral protein, let's say ribs, because he's a brisket guy, right? You do uh, pulled pork, who would win? Well, you know, um, I... I think Franklin would win with his eyes closed, and I would probably try really, really hard just because he does it just effortlessly every single day, right? And to me, like, I, I just love the authentic American experience, and, and Texas is so full of these, like, so, so such beautiful, rich, deep Americana. Austin is specifically one of my favorite uh, cities in the world uh, because um, um, the, you know, the Continental Club on South Congress across from the Hotel San Jose, like you can kind of walk in and really just sort of submerge yourself in this like Texas experience and kind of hear this like, like beautiful kind of like this Texas rockabilly country music that's just so fantastic and have this like kind of deep barbecue thing that you can't get anywhere else in the world. You can't. So that singular experience to me is just fabulous. It's really, really great. And when it comes to the barbecue thing, because there's so many different like, you know, uh, four or five pillars of barbecue. Um, I, gr I grew up with the Carolina, you know, uh, so that that's basically pork shoulder and ribs, um, you know, cooked over hickory um, and slow smoked with sort of a mustard-based barbecue sauce. And then we would generally eat it as a sandwich with barbecue, with coleslaw on top of it. And that's how I always kind of grew up eating barbecue. And then um, um, we, we were in Memphis um, uh, shooting with Food Network. I had a day off. I rented a driver. I found nine of the best barbecue places in Memphis, and I literally ate nine or ten plates of barbecue in, 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 the, in probably six-hour time span. And I'm kind of walking and just go, okay, this is it, okay? Check it out. It's all about ribs. It's all about the dry rub. It's all about the charcoal smoke and different variations. And, and then you, you walk out and go, okay, I get the Memphis barbecue experience. And then you kind of get into, like, Kansas City barbecue, which is kind of cool. Oklahoma Joe's in Kansas City. It's just fantastic. And it's sort of like New World barbecue, but with a deep sense of tradition. It's two, you know, uh, two guys from craft 
food company, you know, that started kind of, you know, they were sort of this prosumer barbecue guys. They would get into competitions and then they, they started winning and then they, they turned into a business really, really good. And then you kind of get into Texas. And I think when you get to Texas barbecue, that is the definition of what American barbecue is all about. And it's so amazing. And then sort of the roots of barbecue, because it was really sort of like, um, if you kind of go through like the cattle drives where, and that was always, would end up being, or uh, cattle drives and, and where they were, the processing areas like, you know, Kansas City, St. Louis has got a good barbecue scene. Um, it, it's fantastic how it just emerged as this like American, you know, food thing that people love. Um, Frank, the Franklin barbecue experience is is um, is the perfection of simplicity, right? And so it's a little bit of science. He welds these things together. He he you know he'll, he 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 puts something but salt and pepper on the brisket itself. So it, it it's about time and temperature and the make when the way he wraps the brisket when he holds them 145 degrees in the hot boxes and he, and and then it's it's just it's uh, it's perfect. Right to me, like that's what I love. It's because you can have this Labernadan kind of food thing, which is great, but uh, to me, like the rootsy on the ground Americana food stuff, like that's what I crave, and and I don't forget. Yeah, no, it's uh, the best brisket in the world if you have not eaten it before. Um, you cook a lot of things well. He is, I'd say, the king of brisket. Totally agree. With you. So, last question. This is another fun one. I ask everyone this. It just gives a sense of who people are. But you're stuck on a desert island. You have one album that you can listen to into perpetuity. Who is your album and why? I think it's LCD Sound System, the London Sessions, which which is amazing. So if, if you're like an LCD, I you know out of 150 years of popular music, sometimes you'll find this like music that go, okay, this is great. And so I I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, right? So this sort of kind of um, 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 London punk scene kind of thing like that was I wasn't really sort of a hair metal guy because that was like the popular music back then but I was really kind of like digging what was coming out of Europe in a way um, so there was like then there was like the Manchester club scene and it was like Joy Division and and that was kind of the music that I really kind of grew up with and because I was a, I was a skate rat kid and then and that kind of moved that kind of morphed this like California vibe that was in the Pixies and that kind of thing and that was just the music that I loved and then and then um, out of the blue you know uh, probably I guess 10 years ago LCD Sound System System, you know, just sort of popped up out of nowhere, and and it totally sounded like everything that I grew up with, but it was just kind of refined, and and then it was so orchestrated in a way. There's probably ten or fifteen people in the band, and James Murphy, who's who's like, who's like I mean, he started kind of late in life. He was like thirty something when he became this, you know, this like weird rock star. Um, but I I would say like out of all their music and um, which, which and all their albums are amazing. Um, the, the refinement of all of that is when they just sort of did this best of collection uh, in, in London. I'm not exactly sure where they, where they recorded it. It could be Abbey Road. I think it was, but maybe not. Um, but I would say LCD Sound System, the London Sessions, would probably be the album that I could listen to over and over and over again and, uh, and, and be happy on a desert island. So I love that choice. Never would have guessed it in a million years, um, but that's very cool. I think they played actually at Outside Lands last year. They were one of the headliners. They did. I was so upset because like, and Daniel Madeira, who, who's here, and she um, um, runs Outside Lands. She's such a good friend of mine, uh, and ours, my wife and I, and, and, and I had to work. I was out of town. I was so upset. That's, that's, I was that's so bummed one. out. Anyway, yeah. uh, Tyler, thank you so much for doing this. Aaron, thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. It was great. Yeah, my pleasure. Aaron Strout, W2O Group. We're doing the What to Know. We're at the New Co. Shift Forum. Had the pleasure of spending some time with Tyler Florence. Uh, a real pleasure to, to do this with you, so thank you for making the time. Thank you very much. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. 
Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.